0: You are listening to episode number seven of the Secondary Science Simplified Podcast. Teacher friends, I cannot even tell you how excited I am for you to hear today's episode as it features our very first guest to the podcast, This month, we've been talking through different strategies for engaging your students, and I was thrilled when my friend Skipper was willing to come on and talk to you specifically about taking existing one-dimensional lesson plans that you have and making them three-dimensional. Skipper is the teacher behind The Real Miss Frizzle, and she and I have been internet friends for the last few years, so it was such a treat to have her on the podcast. She started teaching in February of 2008 when a teacher left a note on his desk mid-year saying that he was not coming back. She was a biology major and suddenly thrown into the world of earth and space science, but she has become, if I do say so myself, an absolutely amazing resource for all things earth and space science, especially to me personally. A few years into her teaching career, Skipper started writing her own earth and space science curriculum for Teachers Pay Teachers. She is now working as an instructional coach and is also the mother of three very cute kids that she forces to do science experiments with her for their family time, which I absolutely love and plan to adopt that strategy as soon as mine are old enough to do so. I truly cannot wait for you to hear more from her. So without further ado, let's get started. Let's get to today's episode.
1: Hey, Skipper, how are you? I am amazing. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing so good. And I'm just really, honestly, so excited
1: to have you as my very first guest. I am tickled that you even asked me because. I feel like I'm such small potatoes and you're such an amazing empire builder. Wow. You're very generous with your
0: words. I don't know about any of that because I think you're amazing. And I know that my guests are going to love hearing from you. So why don't you start for everyone who doesn't know you, give them just a little brief overview of your career as a secondary science teacher thus far.
1: Perfect. So I started in 2008. And my baby had just turned one years old, and I was a mid-year graduate. I graduated in December and had every intention of looking for something in the spring, but there was a job that opened up when a teacher walked out. He left a note on his desk after the holiday in January, and it said, "I'm not coming back. Good luck." and i filled in for that teacher so that's where i started and i was a bio major but all of a sudden i was being asked to take over earth science and i really quickly had to learn what i didn't know right <laughs> which was a lot <laughs> completely different and so i just fell head over heels in love and taught earth science from that moment forward and then just a couple of years ago I was asked by my district and I don't know how big your district is. Rebecca, ours is huge. We have like 80,000 students. Wow. Yeah. So I was asked by our district to come join on as a science coach and it was really cool. I got the chance to visit 12 high schools, 12 junior high schools, and I got to see everything in that job. And now I'm plowing forward into admin Wow. That's amazing. I love (laughs) a lot. (laughs) I love that though, because you bring such a great
0: perspective because not only do you have your own classroom experience, but you have all of this experience working with other science educators.
1: Oh yeah. I've grown so much more being able to go into other people's classrooms than I think I did on my own for those first 12 years.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. Especially just, yeah, what you're learning from observing and and you're being able to give them a fresh look at what they're doing, which is one of the reasons why I'm so excited to talk to you because you, from our last conversation, have inspired me so much with the idea of 3D science and incorporating that in a way that isn't overwhelming. So I am so excited to have you talk to our listeners about what that is. So will you um, tell yes. them... Tell them what is 3D science and why there has been like a nationwide shift towards 3D science.
1: Oh, sure. So we chatted about this in the past, but our education system is modeled after the industrial revolution factory system. The idea is that kids would be dictated where to go and what to do every time a bell rings. And that is something that came from what their parents were doing at work every day. And that never has changed. We've stuck with this model. And for the longest time, the teacher was the sage on the stage. They held the information Mm -hmm. and they released it to the students and they just edified through their presence. Right. Right. But that's just not the world we live in anymore. There is zero reason for kids to, memorize anything. Like I cringe when kids have to memorize the periodic table or phases of the moon. Why are we, you don't need to memorize that. I can ask my phone that at any moment. Mm.
0: It's so true because I mean, I even remember growing up the year for Christmas that my dad got a set of encyclopedias. So (laughs) like when you wanted to look up a question about an aardvark, you got the A encyclopedia. And you looked at the information, but you're right. Like so much of what our students need to know now isn't the knowledge because they can Google Mm -hmm. it in three and a half seconds.
1: Yep. And that's where this shift comes in. We are trying to make a nationwide shift from memorizing and doing just these like routine background noise, rote memorization thing. We're trying to shift to doing and thinking and problem solving. So 3D science, which comes from NGSS, it's got three factors. That's why it's called 3D. So the first dimension is all the stuff we already do. It's what we want the students to learn or to know. So things like mitosis, but we add a second dimension in how we want them to learn it. Mm-hmm. or through a practice. So asking questions, developing models, Mm -hmm. analyzing data, things like that. We can add a third dimension by giving them a lens or a perspective to keep in mind while they are doing their learning. And that's where you add in the cross-cutting concepts. So cause and effect, energy matter, patterns, things like that.
0: Yes, I love this because I distinctly remember when my school district decided they were going to shift to NGSS and I was so overwhelmed because we still had a state end of course exam and it was still very much about what the students needed to know. And I felt overwhelmed by how I was going to incorporate what NGSS is all about. But really when you boil NGSS down to it, it's exactly like you're saying, you know, they still have this foundational... Uh information that we want them to know and understand, but we're building on these other layers. So what does that practically look like then Skipper in a science classroom?
1: So it can be very overwhelming because it almost sounds like you're tripling your workload, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is terrifying, (laughs) but you can actually do the most simple, like the most simple The easiest transformation you can make starting tomorrow would be rather than stand up and deliver a piece of information to kids, pose it as a question and ask them to talk with a partner, to model it, to think about it, and then release the information to the kids. So one example would be layers of the atmosphere. I used to just tell kids, I used to show them a diagram and tell them the names and tell them how big each layer is. But with 3D science, a really simple shift would be to say, "Okay, here are the five layers. How big do you think each layer is? And what do you think is in each layer and where do you think you would find each layer?" And then get them talking and If that's all you do, you have made significant progress to making a 3D lesson.
0: Mm -hmm. It's so true. I think it's especially scary coming after some time, several years now, where we haven't been with our students in person like we've wanted to. And so our students aren't great at speaking in person and asking questions, but you're so right. like That is such a simple shift. And it's a skill that they really need to learn now more than ever since they've had several years just stuck behind a screen.
1: Absolutely. I can spot a 3D classroom within 20 seconds of being in another person's room. What I see in a 3D classroom is the kids are doing the talking, Mm, not the teacher.
0: That is such a simple shift, but a really impactful one. You're so right. Okay. So because this is secondary science simplified, we want to know, like, give us an example or two of an existing standard one-dimensional lesson a teacher might already have in their wheelhouse and what would be some ways that they could shift it besides just getting the students talking more just to up-level it to be three-dimensional.
1: Yes. So I've, (laughs) I've actually been thinking about this the last day or so since the last time we talked. And I think Rebecca, like, I think you will relate to this. You get so good at being an author and designing curriculum that when you have to write down how you do it, it's so hard. Yeah, (laughs) But I've actually created a one page document on how to transform a lesson from 1D to 3D that we're going to share with your listeners, but I will give you two examples of things that I bet everybody listening has done in their classroom as a teacher or student, and then how you use this one pager. The first one is mapping Earth's volcanoes and earthquakes. So everyone out there, raise your hand, (laughs) all the hands go up. Yes, we've all done this. And the way to do it was to hand the kids a map of earth's surface and to say, okay, get on the USGS website and put a dot on the map. Every time there's been an earthquake in the last three days. And the goal was always to get kids to see the ring of fire. I think that's what What our point was, was to show them, look, these earthquakes and these volcanoes, they happen at plate boundaries. However, that's not 3D at all, because if you were to just Google Ring of Fire, all that data is already graphed for you. Mm -hmm. We're just putting them through something they don't need to go through. So if I want students to learn that earthquakes and volcanoes happen at plate boundaries, I want to give them a lens to think about, which would maybe in this case be patterns. I'd want them to be thinking about patterns. And I think I would have them do it by analyzing an existing model or data. So I would give them the map of Earth's earthquakes and volcanoes, but then I would release the kids to Google Earth, where you get a whole bunch of information about elevation and longitude and latitude. And I would say, okay, check out this earthquake in Japan. What was the elevation where the earthquake occurred? And kids get mind blown because this earthquake happened at negative 3000 meters. And now all of a sudden it's like, well, where, where is that? Well, that's under the ocean. Mm. And they start to see, oh, most of these earthquakes are happening below, deep below the ocean. And why would they be happening all the way down there? I thought it happened in Japan. So now they can start thinking about how these layers of the earth are causing the earthquakes. And this can lead to a conversation about subduction zones and convergent boundaries, things like that.
0: And I love this because I think it can be hard To think of good questions to ask students. But really, you just asked one overarching question. And by asking a good question and making it three dimensional and allowing them to explore it, it's going to naturally breed all of these follow up questions Mm -hmm. that really fleshes out the rest of the lesson plan, which is awesome.
1: Oh, yes. Another great example, and I think every bio teacher has done this one, is that mitosis flip book. (laughs)
0: I know I have, I literally have a mitosis flip book in my cells unit
1: as we speak. So help me Skipper, make it better. And it's not bad. You definitely should keep that, but you can, you can alter it because the way we've given that to students is as a source of information. We try to get them, Hey, here's a picture. Here's what you should write down by your picture. And then you can memorize this. Well, a way more 3D way to approach this would be to give them the images or even take a slide of reproducing onion cells or plant cells, have it dyed. You can have hundreds of of cells on this image and ask the kids to start looking for the patterns, Mm. like circle all the cells that look like they're one single cell and use yellow and let's circle all the cells that look like they are almost two separate cells. You can tell they're being pinched in the middle. Let's circle those ones blue, and have them go through a process where they are are deep diving into these stages of mitosis without really knowing that that's what they're looking at. Mm. And they will come across the information. And then you would have them create that flip book and say, "Hey, how many of, of these metaphase images did you see and what does it look like and where do you think it's happening? Is it happening at the beginning of this process or at the end of this process? And let them be the ones to figure it out. They It means so much more to the kids when they feel that they've discovered something.
0: Yes. And I love I love that you use that specific example because for someone like me, who literally does exactly what you said for the 1D, it's not requiring me to just throw away everything I already have. You're yes. just you're just encouraging us to repurpose the way we're using it. And I'm even thinking, okay, every one of us that's teaching the cell cycle has some sort of lecture slides or worksheets somewhere. We have the pictures already there. So yeah. all we would have to do is blow it up or make copies of it, cut them out. And now each pair of students could have a set of these cards that they could rearrange or work with or whatever it may be. Yeah. And then oh, like yeah. you said, you can follow up with that flipbook as more of like a reinforcing study mm-hmm. tool type mm-hmm. thing, but not making that the core of the lesson. I love yeah. that idea.
1: Take your images, remove the labels and the definitions, print them, mix them up, and let the kids figure it out. I love that. So really, I feel like
0: what I've heard from you is the two simplest ways we can kind of start approaching more three-dimensional lessons with the ones we already have is to figure out how can we be asking more questions with this? Mm -hmm. And then two, maybe how can we even rearrange the order in which we're doing things so that students are exploring more before we're just explaining?
1: I love that you just said rearrange because on my one pager, after you kind of think through these three dimensions and how you want to approach it, I give the five basic tools that each teacher has. They have a PowerPoint, they have notes, they have a lab and they have worksheets. And then I give you an idea how to transform each of those and where to move it in your lesson. So if you are dying to keep that PowerPoint because you invested hours on the animations in it. (laughs) We've all done it. (laughs) Yes. Keep it, but save it for the end, save it for the wrap up or the review.
0: I love that. And for everyone listening, that one pager, we're going to have that linked in the show notes so you can grab it and use it. And I think that's such a good idea too, because I have noticed from my own experience, when we do have that explorative experience first, the notes then follow up. They go so much faster. Oh, so fast. Because
1: the students are making those connections. Yes. And you would think that this process. So here's the number one complaint. This is going to take too long. It's going to take too long for me to just wait for the kids to magically come up with the right info. But that's not the case at all. Because you're right. When you get to the part where you're asking them to maybe note the most important things that flies by and takes a fraction of the time it used to take.
0: That's so true. And especially I'm thinking of your example with mitosis and I teach primarily high schoolers. I'm thinking all of my high schoolers had this at some point in probably seventh grade life science. So starting with a lesson where I know that they're coming in with some sort of background knowledge. So it's not incredibly overwhelming to them. Like they're Mm going to have something to work off of. They're not just going to be completely oblivious as to how to approach assignment. It's true. I love that. Well, this has been so helpful and practical, but I want to ask you one last question because you are my inaugural guest and I want to start a tradition where every guest I have shares one way that you have simplified your life recently. So this doesn't have to necessarily be school, it could be home or school, but what's a life hack or an organizational tool, or maybe like a new habit you've started, or it could even be a resource you're using anything at all. That's currently making your life more simplified. So tell us Skipper, what's one way you have recently simplified your life?
1: I love that you are asking people this because I will take everyone else's life hacks <laughs> into consideration. I would have to say the best thing I've done in the last few months is I've I've logged out of all the noise, the the news apps, the social media apps. I've logged out and I've moved them off of my home screen on my phone and they're just hard enough to get to that. I only want to do it every once in a while. And oh my gosh, my mental health is so much better than it was back in the summer. I am so much happier and the noise is just gone. I love that. Cause I feel like life is
0: very noisy right now. So oh, yes, I is. think you're so right. And it's so amazing how something such a small shift like that can make such a difference just by getting it
1: out of the front of your face. So you're not seeing it all the time. That's huge. mm -hmm. It's been wonderful. I think my kids can even see that I'm a lot happier when I'm not worried about what such and such stranger thinks about this (laughs) news story that in the end, is it really going to matter?
0: Totally. I know I've had to take, I take an entire day off now of social media and it just the quiet has been so good for my brain brilliant. Well, and Skipper, I'm just so happy to have had you here and for you taking the time to be here. So I want to make sure that everyone listening can stay connected with you because I think you're a wonderful person and I've learned so much from following you. So where's the best place that our listeners can find you?
1: I think the fastest, easiest place to find me is going to be my Instagram, which is at real Miss That's my teacher's pay teacher's store name. There's a whole backstory there that you can read about. But I also will throw out links on that Instagram to free lesson plans and newsletters and all kinds of other ways to keep in touch. So if you're looking for a one-stop, head to Instagram.
0: I love that. And I can personally attest that her Instagram brings me so much joy. If you look at mine... Mine is like the most monochromatic, like navy, white, and gray colors. And Skipper's is just all joy. And it is, you do so many great (laughs) practical tips. Like I love the little nuggets you put out there. So highly recommend checking out Skipper there. And I'll make sure to link this all to in the show notes so our people can find you. But thank you so much for coming on, Skipper. Of course. I'm so grateful for you.
1: I am also grateful for you.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. Be sure to check the show notes for links to the one pager that Skipper referenced, as well as the link to where you can hear more from Skipper by following her on Instagram. And don't forget, this is your last chance to enter our giveaway. That's in honor of the podcast launching this month. So to enter the giveaway, you just need to share this podcast somewhere on social media. This can be in a teacher Facebook group or on your Instagram stories. And be sure to tag me so that I can see it. After you share, DM me a screenshot of your post as your entry to at its.not.rocket.science on Instagram. And that's it. And if you want to enter a second time as a bonus, you can leave a review on Apple Podcast. It helps so much for getting the word out to other educators who might benefit from the podcast. And like I've said, this week... Now that it's wrapping up, I will randomly select two winners from all of the entries and you can receive either $100 in store credit to the It's Not Rocket Science resource shop or an It's Not Rocket Science custom Arctic Tumblr and a $30 TBT gift card. So totally your choice. All you have to do is make sure you enter. All right, teacher friends, that wraps up today's episode. If you're looking for an easy way to start simplifying your life as a secondary science teacher, head to itsnotrocketscienceclassroom.com slash challenge to grab your classroom reset challenge. And guess what? It's totally free. Thanks so much for tuning in and I'll see you here next week. Until then, I'll be rooting for you, teacher friend.